Hi folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we start this podcast. Uh, this was recorded last week. Myself and Rory sat down to chat about the economic storm clouds that are gathering and what it means for both the economy and the housing market or the property market, more importantly. Um, don't like the use of that word market. Uh, if you want to get these podcasts as they're done, including the conversation we did, we had with Martin Leahy in Cork, the, the musician, on his experience of the housing crisis, and a conversation I had with Hannah McCarthy in Beirut, which was a fascinating insight into what's happening in the Lebanese elections, what it means for the formation of a government there, and the treatment of refugees. It's really eye-opening stuff. All of those are available now on patreon.com forward slash tortoise Please do support the work Please do help us keep these mics going. It really, really helps. There's, we've no ads, no sponsors. And for that um, few quid, you get the pods first. You get them without having to listen to me begging. And there's lots and lots of additional uh, extras. About 900 additional posts. All our back catalogue is there. Um, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. And really appreciate everybody who shares the word, lets people know. And enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today I'm delighted to be joined back on the podcast by Tony, um, producer of Reboot and Tortoise Shack Media, and in what is becoming perhaps our little bit, hopefully, regular chat, Tony, and going yeah. over the, the issues and... Um, well, we got actually some lovely feedback on the last um, one we did together, which discussed the whole issue of potential division around the response to the Ukraine refugees. Um, I actually randomly was talking to somebody and they said, I was just listening to you um, over breakfast talking to Tony. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. There's the the, the the conversations. Look, I suppose why we try to do some of those is because we try to flesh them out and we don't have, you know, we don't set, we don't over talk it either, but we're just trying to put, put flesh in the bones. Speaking of you trying to put flesh in the bones, you were in with the Housing Commission yesterday about the right to housing in, in, in the Constitution. How'd you get on? Yeah, that was, it was very interesting. Um, it was a, people might be familiar with the Housing Commission or maybe not. It's was set up by um, the Minister, Darrell O'Brien to look at kind of where Ireland's housing is going. A bit of a strange thing around post-2030 and assuming that things are... Anyway, we won't get into that right now. But one of the things that the Commission has really, which is chaired by um, the former head of the housing agency, John O'Connor, who we actually had on this podcast before, um, is one of the first things they've been tasked with do is to progress the commitment that was in the program for government for a referendum on housing. Um, and that now seems to be progressing as a referendum on the right to housing, which is very, very positive because there was it was not clear at all that that was the case. And um, there is a subcommittee of the commission who organized a conference, which was in UCD over the last two days, which had a lot principally legal experts, barristers, international experts on housing, uh, on constitutional law and changes to constitutions, but also looking at, in particular, socioeconomic rights, which, of course, housing is a main one, and 
sort of what's the experience in other countries where they put in that right and what impact does it have? It was fascinating. Um, and we're, I'm actually going to do a podcast on it next mm. week where I'll go into detail because there's a lot in it. Um, I was, I suppose two things really came out for me. One was it definitely feels and seems and the commission appeared to be committed to progressing this, which is great. Um, and I think there is a date they're looking to have a report recommending the wording uh, and on a referendum to the minister by, I think, the end of the summer. So this is and we hope that that will be a right to housing. Um, and the other thing was interesting. There was a huge amount in the presentations. The international experience suggests that two things. One, um, that the, the process of a cons- of a referendum could really give real impetus for change because it's like people saying we want this to happen. But on the other hand, putting it in the constitution, of course, is not going to solve the crisis. And it's not. Yeah, well, we hang on. Uh, like we, I know you want to... We- we don't want to go too deep into No, we this, don't. But, we don't want, but, but, we don't but, want to give it all away. But, but 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 one thing I will say is that's interesting is you mentioned the socioeconomic rights. We it has been covered. Um there are people working on that, having it had it having it inserted into the same sort of um grounds you can't discriminate for employment law. You know, yes. so you can't discriminate on sex, on on religion, on you know, gender, all of these things that that, that we the seven heads are trying to add. Uh, socioeconomic discrimination as well. So all of that is is of a piece as well. So it's interesting that because you know that that is that is one of the biggest struggles, obviously, um, that, that has come to the fore in the last twenty four hours. For me, the the class issue has come to the surface time and time again. I I, I know I'm banging the drum very loudly, but I was very upset that the coverage that that was given to that woman who was brutally murdered in Ballymun relative to people from other communities and I don't want to do what about free, but I do think it's classism and it's built in that working class communities are treated differently. I mean they had they mentioned not known to police about this this woman. How dare they? How dare they? Anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I, I may she rest in peace. Yeah. No, it's horrific and and well, there's no doubt at all that there is you know it's the dominant, you know, middle upper class who dominates, you know, a lot of the the dominant discussions in the media and, and those from work class disadvantaged traveler uh, migrant backgrounds are, you know, excluded in many ways. And, and the way they're presented in the media has been as, you know, that whole othering for a long, long time. And mm. um, the prejudice is revealed and the discrimination is revealed. And of course, that has, um, you know, detrimental impacts on them. And, and it's horrific in these in these well, it just it just it stood out. For, it just stood out for me yesterday in a bad way. Yeah. I, I, we wanted to talk about so much going on in terms of housing, um, in terms of the the results of the the reports that are coming out. Yeah, one of the, housing and the economy, Tony. Yeah, housing, oh yeah, that's the way. I I get that, but I, I, like just some of the things that have come. You know, the actual scale of affordable housing. The report that's coming in with Rory, and you know, basically, if we were to wait two thousand years at current rates, we we might we might knock we might knock a few people off the housing waiting lists was, was basically the, the rate of attrition that they were that they were generating homes at surely this is not this is not good news no it's not and why i said straight away there about the economy was because i think that there are clear you know clouds you know internationally and a lot of things happening quite rapidly um that do and will have potentially a massive impact on housing and add to our crisis and I suppose how we respond to those um, financial 
economic winds of change again um, will have an impact. And so I, I think we really need to be thinking about that because straight away I'm hearing um, you know, the we won't be able to borrow at the same, you know, low interest rates. And a core argument we have been making over the last couple of years has been that the state should have been borrowing at low interest rates to build affordable homes that people could buy or rent. But of course, it refused to. It refused to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now as interest rates rise, it's going to be more difficult to make the case. And the question will be, again, how do we reframe and how do we make the case for investment in housing, in public affordable housing during uncertain economic times? Well, okay. So when you say uncertain economic times, the the British Central Bank has already, um, the UK Central Bank has already said they 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 reckon they're going to go into recession soon. Okay. Yeah. Um, July, the European Central Bank is expected to trigger its first interest rate hike in in, in a gazillion years, and that's that's the beginning of the cycle. Uh, the US has already had two and has, has priced in, the market's priced in two more by year end. Um, there's a lot of fears that that the, the cost of uh, living crisis that we just call, used to just call inflation um, is not going to be te- tempered by these raising interest rates. So if you're a central bank, you you either acted too, you, you act too slowly and it let you let it get away from you or you act too fast and you and you hurt you hurt the real economy in other words yeah. people like us and um, so they're trying to balance that but it's not looking good i mean you just turn a look in the us and uh, there are there are high street banks letting go their mortgage uh, advisors now their mortgage sales teams um they're they're letting them go in their hundreds they, you look at canada now and their property bubble is insane you look at australia and they're saying the state are now going to actually pay um, you know, a, a a portion of the purchase price for people because they don't want the bubble to burst because it will mean it'll mean they're in so much trouble that so they're literally going to the state will intervene and keep. So that's proper. what we've been doing here for, I, for I, years. I know, but this is one and of we these. Had, that was the other crazy thing that came out this week that the government is putting 120 grand into the developers' pockets to do the same thing as what you're talking about there yeah, in Australia. Yeah. Don't allow prices drop keep prices high by giving the developers the the money but, they say they need to but, cover but, the but, cost. But at least in Australia they they're demanding a a share of the of the property for the for their investment. You know they they will own it, the part of it that they're that they're putting the money in for. We're just giving it as a subsidy to to uh, a developer. Yeah, I mean, we're just giving them the ATM yeah, cards. I mean we like you know no we had it, it there back before he was Minister for Housing, we had that conversation with Dara O'Brien when we were sitting in this room and we were saying, well, well, if you're going to do that, just buy the land underneath it and keep the land forever. Tell the developer, you know, you, you can put the thing on it, but it's always going to be. And it's funny, you know, we could go, we get into that argument talking about who owns the land, the National Maternity Hospital. Oh, sure, we're just, you know, it doesn't matter who owns the land. And yet we wouldn't do it when it came to uh, to keeping public land. You know, uh, we just wouldn't do it. Of course there was, it matters who owns the land. It's course, fundamental. And that's and that's what and it, we had that. As I said, we had that conversation a couple of years ago before he became minister. But like when you see those sort of those things that are going to happen, it's going to be a bumpy eighteen to twenty four months. If you haven't gone back and listened to a conversation I had the other evening with Konstantin Gordiev, he's fantastic on these things on looking at the medium term trends. And I asked the question: Are we not just going to rush back into it? Because um, I think a one percent rise. 
in in the ECB will wipe out a lot of family incomes given the cost of everything else, you know, uh, yeah. the food, heat, all the, all of that. Are we going to rush back into a, a form of quantitative easing? And he said, yeah, we'll be back printing money again. And with yeah. the, and we'll-, well, well, that's that that is part when we look at, you know, how we responded to COVID, um, which potentially was, you know, austerity again. But we didn't do austerity. We responded with a massive state you know, um, bailout of the, you know, various, you know, society for the first time, unlike the previous previous austerity round. Um, and, you know, the central bank and the ECB, of course, has been engaged in quantitative easing for many, many years, keeping countries debt low. So like Ireland's um, debt low. And that, of course, has been part of the, the thing that the Irish government has ignored in, in uh, suitably was saying, we're doing such a great job with our economy. Look at our low rates at which um, interest rates people will buy our debt. Uh, that's because the ECB is buying the debt and basically guaranteeing it. So my question would be, are we really, if the ECB continues that support, are we really going to, you know, enter that sort of a, a debt cycle with state's debt um, or will state the cost of state debt remain relatively low? DCB aren't going to turn on the tap uh, until it's too late, too late. It'll be, there are, there, there'll be people, there'll be people. Um, and, and again, it, this is all going to be in the basis that, you know, there can't be any uh, um, debt forgiveness or debt restructuring. So they'll have to, the, 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 there's not going to be, um, there's there's opportunities here where they can just remain the the, the lender or the borrower or buyer of the, of debt of last resort, and that's what underwrote the whole um, quantitative easing that we that cycle that we went through, and you know helped Ireland get off the off the. And by the way, very same. I'm glad you pointed out we were able to borrow because of what the ECB did. Because when we spoke to Dirige the other day from from the Global Alliance of Tax Justice, we saw how differently they, the IMF and the Troika types treat. Uh, Developing countries, not not so kindly at all. It, it turns out, you know, swapping no. swapping debt for more expensive debt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and I think though that this, as it was back to the question of affordable housing and what it showed, the numbers that came out were so stark, like really just. So this is the the scheme whereby local authorities build um, affordable housing that people can buy and they retain a share of the equity when when. Um, and the the numbers were just like the commuter counties in particular, you know, Wicklow, Mead, Kildare, like it was a handful every year is what they're talking about building out to, um, you know, for the next five years. I think it was overall in around 7,000 total for the next five years, which is like it's an utter drop in the ocean. Like counties like Kilkenny, I think it was 15 <laughs> affordable homes per year. Now, the government came back and said that, oh, well, this isn't our only affordable you know, housing scheme. We also have the shared equity scheme, which is, of course, the the um, the market based scheme where. Um, but of course, all that does is jack up prices and also it essentially gives people money to try and their own, their own find report, affordable housing in the market. Their own report came back to them and said, you, this, 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 is, uh, this is pumping up the prices of uh, houses further. It's a disaster. Please stop doing it. And significantly, the IMF 
came and produced that we only saw the press release. We're going to see the full report later on in the summer. They came and did their country assessment of us. And they said, um, which I thought was very significant, that the shared equity scheme is likely um, to increase house prices if it is not limited in scale, which means basically the signal to the government, you can't do this. You can't provide this as a way of getting lots of people affordable housing. This has to be a limited scheme. Um, And the other affordable scheme they have, of course, is the affordable rental, cost rental, which is also problematic because the rents that are being charged are not really affordable at all. Um, But it's so the local authority, the significance of the local authority affordable purchase. Can can I, can I be, can I, can I, can I, no, it's important. I finished point. The only way that the state is guaranteeing the delivery of affordable homes that people can buy. It's the only stream, the only program, and it is utterly pathetic. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just want you to make sure that you never say that we have a cross-rental model here because even after I got beaten around by all of the Greens and people who were insistent that we do, they then said, well, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. It's like cost rental, but this is like there's an element of, you know, uh, of market uh, rental at a discount, you know, and that's not what cost rental was supposed to be. Um, And some of the more some of the more disappointing aspects of that. It it comes back to as well. You know, we had the daft, um, the daft, isn't it daft rent Mm. report out um, just today as well. And it's showing rents now again. Market rents, that's rents on, on new tenancies rising again, you know, 10, 11%, um, 50% higher than the Celtic Tiger highs, 50%. And it's interesting, you know, the, when you look at how renters have been hammered and sacrificed and house prices are still not at Celtic Tiger levels, rents are 50% higher than Celtic Tiger levels. Renters are the ones who've paid it. Um, And I I think that when we look at it, the idea of the cost rental model that the government is rolling out linked to market rents, which are 50% higher than the Celtic Tiger, there's nowhere near, they're not going to be affordable. Affordable rents are six, seven hundred, eight hundred a month. That's an affordable rent. Well, it shouldn't, like... If you walked into to get a mortgage, they'd say to you, look, you shouldn't be spending more than kind of 30% of your income. Of your um, net, of your net take home. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then, you know, they stress it by an extra 2% and say, you know. Yeah, to check how many, you know, have your children? Are you going yeah, to childcare yeah. costs? That what, what, comes what, out of it. What, what additional debt have you got? If your yeah. credit card debt, we'll take, we have to take in what's the monthly repayment on that. All of these things have to go into the hat. That doesn't happen here. Like you saw, um, that outrageous uh, tweet yesterday from Crazy Price House Prices about the people who for the development between your house and mine, Rory, and Griffith yeah. Woods, whatever. And there's lots of them sitting sitting vacant. Someone earning eighty four thousand a year was told you're not earning enough to, to live here. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I and that's the point that the new supply from the build to rent investor funds is all at this. Absolutely unaffordable. Two grand a month, as you say, you know, you have to be 2,400. 2,400, yes. Mm. I think there was one of them. I think it was the one bed or two bed was 2,000 a month. And um, there's a guy people are well worth following on Twitter, Brian Feeney. He does fantastic uh, graphs of income um, related to housing costs. And he um, 
if you look at it, if you were to afford 2000 for 2000 a month to be a third of your net take home pay, you have to be earning 120,000. Like it's just, it's bonkers stuff and it's completely unsustainable. And that comes back to the economic question. Um, you know, we have the government, when we saw the planning permissions that came through for, they went through last year that, you know, will be built in possibly in the coming years. The overwhelming majority of it is investor fund. Um, the, the big question is, you know, will the investor fund uh, supply keep coming? Um, you know, and given the government has put all its eggs in that basket. Now, I don't think that would be a bad thing if they um, cooled off and if we saw a reduction in their supply. The problem, the, the challenge would be then, well, we would have to get the land off them to start building affordable housing. So we need a serious land tax, um, vacant land tax that would get, would get that or CPO it. Um, but I think the wider question is for people who want to buy a home and who are looking to buy a home, and, and this is really important. Like, it's, like the amount of people stuck at home as adults, and you know, a lot of our listeners, some of the, you know, we've broad age range, but I, in particular, encourage like people who are in their forties, fifties, maybe who have kids, and they don't think this is something that's affecting them or will affect them. Um, you know, their kids are going to be looking for a home maybe in ten years, in fifteen years' time, but they're not going to be able to get a home. You know, if we continue on like this and, you know, building homes does take time. And so I think that the real the ship still has to be turned um, and we have to get, I think, you know, an, a state development construction company set up that would guarantee the wages, conditions, workers build on public land, houses for sale and back the likes of Okulon. It's still. You know, we're not seeing that. Um, right, hang on, Rory. We need to we need to move this along because we, we're going over that. We have to do a, se- a separate podcast on the state construction company, and because there's pros and cons to that, and we do need to we do we do need to have that that conversation. We do, we do but, absolutely. But, but yeah. I want I want to make a point. You, you you mentioned the daft report. Why is a private company given such dominion over the reporting on rental properties when they clearly are linked to? The the big players in these markets, they, you know, they, they, there's it doesn't make sense that we give them so much credence. And it was pointed out. And here's the quote I, I've, I've stolen from the uh, article in Village. What the DAF property figures measure is not a crisis in, in, in supply available to rent, but to be entirely accurate, a crisis in the number of adverts on its website. <laughs> and there's yes. a lot and there is a lot of truth in that, Rory. And, you know, because. It doesn't measure those vacant units that we walk by in Griffith Griffith Woods now that they're holding off on 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 renting to people because they'd have to drop the rental prices because they, that's what they're doing it, and it doesn't take account of of those things intentionally so and then you know we've Ronan Lyons who does the rounds goes out and, and fights his corner but Ronan is is ad- advocating for a model and he keeps saying that supply is going to do its job and yet never in the history of the state. Has increase in supply, reduced prices. I, I remind listeners in the year where we built ninety four thousand units in one year in this country, house prices went up by over ten percent. So don't tell me that your ten thousand rental apartments are going to decrease rents for everybody. We're not even at the races. Absolutely, and the the question of because it's back to what type of supply. 
and it needs to be the right type of supply that can actually and and in terms of the scale of affordable housing that would actually reduce rents but no this type of supply is not going to reduce rents or lead to a reduction um in rents or provide people a permanent secure home of their own and that is what's fundamentally missing and i think it's interesting looking at the report because they are it does acknowledge in this report uh, and I think the first time I've seen it, the latest staff report, that there um, figures that there are also other sources whereby people are renting. So it's only capturing a certain amount. The reality is the Residential Tenancy Tenancies Board, the RTB, is the one that has the most accurate data. And, and did you and, read? And did you read the report Social Justice Ireland did on the RTB and on the CSO stats this week? No, I didn't read that one. What did that one say? One in five households now, rental households, are now subsidized by HAP. And more importantly, for the first time ever, they're now in the, you know, remember that uh, they break them down by the, the electoral regions? The, you yes. know, the, yeah, it's now, uh, it's now a, a, an issue in what we would call ABC1 areas, Rory. Um, yeah. So, so it's now it's now gone up the economic food chain, whereby you now have people, professional people in professional communities working that are that also need some form of rental assistance to deal with with rental payments. That's a huge problem for a government that seems to think, you know, well, at least our core base are uh, are well to do. People are going to be okay. If it's starting to creep in into those electoral areas, that is that is something that I think. As uh, Colette Bennett said to me, actually, on email yesterday, that's when policy might actually change, Tony, because they worry about a certain kind of class of person. And if they're upset, the government might be upset. Yeah, like the housing crisis, the rental crisis reaches across the socioeconomic um, demographics, like a third of renters, the CSO data that, that I analyzed, which they probably drew on as well. It showed that a third of renters who get no state support, a third of them are in poverty after their housing costs. So that is people who don't qualify for HAP, who don't qualify for social housing. Their income is too high, yet they're being pushed into poverty after the housing costs. A third of them Mm. who pay rent. And I think there's one really, that's a really, really telling statistic, but there's one thing that you we sort of touched on earlier about when the government borrowed money to um, use to pay through COVID. You know, we privatized hospitals, we froze rents, we uh, banned evictions and we gave people uh, the pandemic unemployment uh, payment. You know what happened for the first time? Because since 2019, uh, Ireland's been creeping down, deprivation levels going up marginally, at risk of poverty rates going up uh, and you know, inequality between mark um, income inequality based on social transfers going up as well. And it reversed. It's all going to be undone and unpicked this year because they've unpicked all of the supports that they did. And but I saw Seamus Coffey saying how great it was that we that we've you know, we've stemmed, we've turned the tide on creeping inequality. Yes. And the truth is, it was all because of the state stepping up for that period of the pandemic. And as they unpick those, as they unpick those, Social Justice Ireland again have shown actually we'd be it, it would see a growth of you know nearly twenty percent more people would be impacted without those supports and you're and you're taking them away where you know so yeah absolutely and the other point on Seamus Coffey's uh, analysis of that is that I think that the 
usefulness of those figures that look at overall mm. average deprivation and at risk of poverty is really challenged by the generational inequality um, in renters and who owns because renters when you look at the cso stats of as i just said there the poverty rates after housing mm. now have to be looked at i think rather than just you can't really look at pre-housing costs no no and 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 we and and, and the cso do in 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 they, some of those the reports. time now they have them but yeah. it will be important to look at how that then is changing over time um but you're absolutely right to say that uh that you know, when we look at the last since the removal of those supports and now combined with this cost of living crisis over the last six months that we're seeing a very changed situation. You know, we're hearing, you know, and St. Vincent de Paul are talking about it, this huge increase in in people needing basic things like the use of food banks, food poverty, like the, the social crisis that is going on out there is literally um, terrifying. That that is going on. That go that 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 cost of living crisis is way beyond. And I think you know you talk about politics and government. I think the government haven't a bull's notion. They are so removed from the reality of people's lives that they are just um, they're not responding sufficiently. Um, and of course, they will pay that price electorally. But unfortunately, the next election is quite a way away yet. The last thing I want to say is that the the statistics that came out from the housing agency, none of them surprised us, by the way. <laughs> but you know, seven thousand nine hundred ninety five vacant vacant houses and sixteen thousand three hundred twenty one vacant vacant apartments in Dublin, a twenty five percent vacancy rate nationwide. That's before we get into the dereliction issue that we've been talking about as yeah. well for a number. Yeah. And yet we're hearing we have to subsidise um, developers somewhere between one hundred twenty to one hundred forty four per, per apartment unit. The government are fiscally incompetent, socially irresponsible, and politically inept. There you go. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Mm. I, I think as well, and to add to it, unfortunately, homelessness as well. The figures came out last mm. week um, for, um, sorry, just they're about a week and a half ago that I was looking at them, that the I calculated that in the region of um, 3,000 children, uh, experienced the loss of their home in Dublin last year. So 3,000 children and their families. And the number of children who are in homeless emergency accommodation has increased by 30% it's new, since new, May of last there's, year. There's almost 3,000 children currently in emergency accommodation. Yes, but this is an additional. Hmm. So the way it works is that yeah. uh, families present as homeless. Oh, I know. Yeah. Not all of them go into emergency accommodation. About half of them are prevented mm. from entering emergency accommodation. In the first three months of this year, 780 families were made homeless, presented as homeless. 780. If you average that each one of those is two kids, mm. that's 1,400 children in the first three months of this year experiencing. And think of the months and months in the build up to that point of stress, of anxiety for them and their family. Like homelessness is back now as bad as it ever was. And which is just so fucking frustrating when you think that during COVID, we stopped it. Mm. And, reversed it. And, re and, re and reversed it. And reversed it. For the first time, homelessness, family homelessness in about six to eight years fell dramatically because property was freed up. 
Airbnb was reduced. They put the ban on evictions in place. And what they did was, effectively, they were stemming the, f- the flow of people in. So then it gave them more work and time to be able to get people who are in emergency accommodation, other accommodation. But now the flow is back again. Um, and I think it really, you know, I think there's, I think the government is, is facing a big problem. There's a lot of talk about Michal Martin and how fantastic he is as a T-shock, mm. and he's recovered, you know, so well from the initial, you know, um, kind of uh, these calls for him from within his own party to be removed and all that. And I think that those that talk is just completely missing what the hell is going on for in terms yeah. of homelessness, in terms of housing and the cost of living crisis. I, I you know what? You, you couldn't be you couldn't be more right on that. This, I, I, I got frustrated by it during the week where everybody would say, you know, let's take the National Maternity Hospital thing as, as and by the way, if you're around Dublin on Saturday, the rallies at 2 p.m. outside the doll, you know, I, 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 so I would encourage you to get along. But let's take that and, and people continually, you know, high profile people sending him tweets saying, you're such a decent man, Michal Martin, but you're, you know, you, you you have to work on this aspect of this, that and the other. And you're thinking to yourself going, stop framing everything as in, you know, we keep excuse, we keep con- confusing decency or civility for decency, because in my opinion, you can't oversee increasing homelessness and then not actually re- immediately re-implement, re-implement, because we saw it can be done, an eviction ban and a a rent freeze. You can do it. You can use emergency powers. And I remind people that in the European European law, there's nothing that stands in the way of the state acting to defend its citizens. And they can easily do that. We've declared how we've we've declared homelessness an emergency. The previous Taoiseach did it and, and did nothing about it. Now we've another we've a new guy at the helm and everybody keeps saying how decent he is, but we're not getting the change. Look, I, I, I'm clearly in a bad mood today. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, we could we could add to it. Uh, the the ditch has been doing some pretty good uh, reporting um, on <laughs> insights into on board Panola and um, some serious issues there. And um, in terms of yeah, I'd, I'd recommend everybody read what what is actually <sighs> looks ter- like just dreadful, dreadful your worst fears of what's happening with planning. And Rory, you know, people who call you a NIMBY, imagine what's actually happening when you see within on board Planala, and just because we we give out about vulture funds and, and cuckoo funds, we're the problem. Yeah, yeah. And they've just, you know, yeah, just real real issue of how, you know, politics and political appointments and planning and who profits from you know, developments and how the, you know, the system and the, our planning system is so fundamental that people trust it and put faith in it. But this is really, this is really damaging. And of course, who's benefiting from it? Um, You know, those who have money, who've invested in property, the real estate funds. Um, It's not good. It's really not good at all. Um, And... Listen, Tony, we better um, finish up. We'll have people uh, will be crying into their um, their their uh, coffees and the whole lot at breakfast and whenever they listen to us. But uh, I suppose what it does show, again, is the importance of us continuing to to highlight these and continuing to point that there are solutions, there are alternatives. And um, again, that we, you know, we can do this differently. And within all this, you know, you have a cool on battling away, building affordable homes putting, you know, possible solutions out there. Katu are organizing, you know, the tenants, if you are, you know, interested in getting involved in that, you know, people want to see change. Obviously, the 
the response to the maternity hospital. As I said, you know, the, the drive for the referendum on the right to housing. There's a lot of good people, you know, who want to, to see a much better country. And, you know, we're dealing, I think, with the legacy of so much neoliberalism and, and greed and corruption that it's going to take time to to uh, get that Republic of Rights and Equality. But we can't lose the faith. We have to feel that we are and believe that we are part of a, a process that's taking time to get that change. But we will get there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be the, you know, who I all, I always think when you talk about change, I think of the um, Aaron Dahi Roy's quote about, you know, a new world is possible. Uh, on on quiet days, I can hear her breathing. She's not that far away. I, I, I think she's not that far away. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I do. I, I hold on to that every day, and and I think that, you know, we have to keep pushing for the changes that we want to see that's, you know, that we believe and see like, you, you know, there's nothing you can, when you see the suffering going on and how people are affected by, you have no choice, but to keep, you know, trying to do what you can to change that. And, you know, we have, we can only do what we can do, but, you know, one of the things we can do is highlighting, discussing and pointing out um, alternatives and giving people a voice. And um, we will have more voices of, the housing crisis coming up as well um and the i think that we have to hold on to hope and hold on to the belief that you know things can get better and things will get better and that that is the the flame that keeps us all going and that's it and listen thank you so much as always listeners uh we have been getting great feedback over the last a uh, couple of weeks to our podcast on Twitter um, and on Instagram. And it's really lovely to to hear that. And um, it's, you know, it, it was great. I met so actually the, the chair of the uh, the housing event that I was speaking at uh, from Katu, Orla Byrne was saying, oh, I was listening to your podcast and, you know, it's really great. And I tell my friends to listen to it. And I was like, that's nice. It's nice to know that people who are at the coal face and who are involved in activism and trying to change things and affected by it are listening and are getting something out of it. And, you know, I think that we really would ask listeners, share it around, let people know you're listening and, um, you know, put the comment up on Twitter or whatever you think on it. Um, and please as well, if you can become a patron, I know not everybody can, these are hard times, but if you can, um, you know, help us to keep this podcast going, it costs a lot of money to produce in terms of hosting and on all the various technology things and all Tony's time that he puts into it. Um, so please, if you can go over to tortoise shack, uh, patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Um, you can get sign up for Fiverr, tenor, uh, two fifty a month and you get the podcast first straight into your, uh, inbox with no, um, ads. And uh, ads is in us talking because we don't actually have any ads because we don't. Oh, we, we, we've done ads, but only for for homeless charities to try and exactly. support their rallies. And so, yes. so it has yeah. to have a value. Um, look, just on the on the patron thing, it would be great. And uh, but if you can't afford it, do spread the word, you know, let people know, because that's word of mouth is the only advertising we do have. And that's what that's what hap- that's what works. And if I can be, be cheeky again, um, Saturday, 2 p.m. outside the doll. It would be good to to see a huge crowd there uh, because, you know, a week ago I was told by um, 
people close to the government that this was a done deal that the the the, the anger would do, would die down and it was a done deal anyway they just they'll just wait for the anger to die down i think the government are on the run here um so yeah a, a big Very turnout important. a big a big turnout would be would Very be would, important yeah absolutely and we also have a live show coming up May, I will be there May 29th we will, will look I, I can't reveal more on that yet just yet I'll, I'll, but we will May 29th details coming very soon very good very good listen thank you so much to our listeners as always for sticking with us for listening um, and talk to you all soon <laughs>